I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, have you just been doing your Duolingo? Is this true that you're learning Russian on Duolingo? If so, how long's your streak? Okay, I, I've long ago sort of given up on streaks. But when I do compete, I'm quite high up there, you know. I don't know, I'm sort of number, <laughs> I'm number eight or something out of 25 or, you know, I'm doing okay. Okay, but, I'm But, um, you know, the difference is getting it all right on Duolingo and having a conversation with a real live Russian, which I'm not sort of in a position to do at the moment, as you can imagine. Do, ha, have you got any Russian friends who are here that you could talk to? I should. The very sad truth is I started learning this when I was doing a Chekhov play in London. And I, and I went to Russia because I wanted to sort of soak up the atmosphere. It was an excuse to travel, really. And um, I started learning then. And that was ages ago. I mean, I should be very fluent by now if I'd kept it up. But I asked to meet a Russian teacher in London. And I stayed friends with him, even though we didn't, couldn't manage lessons for very long, because various reasons we live in such different parts of the country. But he died this year. Oh, I'm so sorry. It wasn't unexpected, but, you know, it's like... The incentive has slightly wilted, and I, I, oh, and, I'm sorry. But you know, I, this is not just in order to communicate with Russians and read Russian literature. This is to stop me getting Alzheimer's, really. Oh, do you know, it's really that. That's one of the things, as they say, doing all the brain training and learning a new language. And every time I try, because I love Italian, and I've always wanted to be able. I can speak it when I'm there in a restaurant, but that's it. Not. Not actually having conversations, and I was. You can order a bolognese. Yes, exactly, and and two fizzy waters, so <laughs> rock and roll. Um, but I just everyone says that it's really important to learn a new language because it's good for our brains. Just keep them switched on. You think of all the different paths your brains got to relearn, and and also what I look because I've always been a bit of a linguist. It's been my strong suit at school and all of that. Um, and I had languages spoken all around me as a kid, which is a big advantage. So the notion of saying what you're thinking in a completely different way was planted very early on in my brain as a growing child. And I think that's, that's people, children who are bilingual have a huge advantage, not just because they can get on in that country, but because they have, they know about the flexibility of the way you think, because the way you construct a sentence is different in a different language, so you think differently. It, it's, subtle, it's, subtle, it's subtle, but it, but it's huge. I'm so annoyed. My mother was a linguist, and um, I wish that... I, I just kept saying, no, I don't want to. She could speak six languages fluently. 
I wish I'd listened to her. You know, she's been dead many years. I wish she's up there now laughing, saying, you see, you should have listened yeah. to me. The things we should have listened to our parents about, yawn, yawn, yes. Maybe um, we won't go there. <laughs> but I've got, a friend who's, I've got a friend whose brother married a French woman and they live in France, but he refuses to let his children learn English. And I think that's incredibly selfish. Really? What? Why is that? I can't think why. I mean... You know, English is one of the, the most spoken languages in the world. I really don't know what that's about. But anyway, uh, the more you can learn when you're young. I wish I'd learnt Russian when I was young and my brain didn't keep interfering, saying, why the hell does it go like that? And what a stupid word? And how am I supposed to learn that? You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you know, it's so interesting. To, it, I, I wasn't going to start talking about this, but I think we should because you're talking about learning. And um, uh, the Coram Shakespeare Schools Foundation that we have spoken about before, it's learning at a young age something like languages, like Shakespeare, is vital. And just the idea of bringing Shakespeare into schools, I just think is so important. When we spoke about it before, I went home and I discussed it with my kids. And they just said, and they were lucky enough to have been taught Shakespeare very young. And they just said, they, it's, they love it. And to hear young people saying that is fantastic. I completely agree. And, and I know the RSC are doing all sorts of outreach programs with schools teaming up in schools all over the country. They've got a program that with their education department. And, you know, they showed me a little video the other day and the kids are going, I just love having something a bit difficult to learn. And, you know, the thing is, when we're kids, it's absolutely taken us read that we're going to spend a lot of our days learning new stuff. That's what we do at school. That's what we do. That's what the, the human brain does from the minute it's born. It tries to absorb information and understand what's going on around it. And when we get older, we start to question those things. or We start to sort of be picky about what we, you know, associations we attach with things. We go, Shakespeare's for posh people. We're not going to do that. You know, when you're young, you just go, this is a, an exciting story. The words are a bit quirky and odd, but I'll get to learn them. And, you know, I can have a have a go. And that's what the Shakespeare School Festival and the RSC now and lots of places now are saying, you know, don't sit them down in a classroom with an iPad. Get them up and running and saying the words themselves. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. When, when were you first introduced to Shakespeare then? Well, having said that, I'm a total latecomer. <laughs> um, I think we read it round the class when I was sort of eight or nine. We read Macbeth or Julius Caesar or one of those things. Um, and we sort of read them round the class. And, of course, you're listening to your neighbour who's also eight years old or nine years old and can't read it properly, and so you don't understand it, and you sound just as bad as they do, and it moves on round the class and you haven't a clue what it's about. Um, I quite like Hubble Bubble Toil and Trouble because it sounded good, but you know, <laughs> otherwise, I don't think I came away with very much. Um, so that's down to the teaching and the and the sort of classic in my age group way of teaching was to sit you down in a classroom, which then it becomes literature. And Shakespeare wrote plays; he didn't write literature. Um, so I didn't come to it until I started to long to act. And at drama school, I remember this teacher going on and on and on at this one speech I had to do. In we only did Shakespeare for one term, but she went on and on and on. The other kids in the class were going, oh, I'm going off to get a cup of tea. And I was going, give me more, give me more, give me more. Yes, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do that. Oh, I see. And then I've got to keep the rhythm going. Oh, and I've got to imagine I'm that. Oh, yeah, okay. And I've got to pronounce the, the yeah, yeah. 
And I just loved all the challenges that it brought. And I thought, this is what I came in for. You know, I love a challenge. But everyone else was going, mm, no, I'd rather do, you know, EastEnders. <laughs> I'm slightly putting them down. It's not quite true. But I remember just looking back, I thought, oh, this is great stuff. So you said that when you longed to be an actor. So when did that longing start? Well, I think very early on, actually, I decided I wanted to act, like about nine or ten. Those very formative years, aren't they? I keep mentioning yeah. nine and ten. But, uh, yeah, it was, um, and you know, I'm sure I could go on a psychiatrist's couch and figure out why. I mean, my sister had just gone to boarding school. I was on my own. I did a lot of sort of uh, long walks playing on my own and um, making stories up. And, um, and then there was Hayley Mills. For my generation, Hayley Mills was a sort of huge factor because <laughs> here was a child who was famous. Here was a child who got to be in all sorts of adventures and, um, you know, and take on the grown-ups and be as important, if not more important, than the grown-ups. So I think it was just, at the, in the early stages, it was about that. It was about escaping and... Um, getting into adventures and other stories and also um, being important, being the centre of the story. <laughs> that makes total sense. Yeah. And it's very interesting, though, that all the interviews that, that I've read and, and in my research and um, before chatting to you before as well, that everybody tries to link it to your uncle. And I love that you always say, no, he was an actor, but it was it was about something I felt. And it's weird how people want to always... If you you do whatever you do, they always want to go. Oh, I know. There's a, everybody tries to be a sort of, you know, sit there and take you through, a, be a psychologist. I know the reason, but I love your reason. It's nothing to do with any of that. This is because you were out there picturing yourself as Haley Mills and imagining that fabulous <laughs> world that you could see on film and on TV. I mean, it it made a difference in that um, I've actually just finished reading my uncle's autobiography because I had to do an interview about him not so long ago and I thought I'd better bone up on his life you know <laughs> and um it I found a lot in common but it was sort of in retrospect and, and sadly he's gone so I mean we did have lots of conversations in later life about you know fellow actors and jobs we liked and jobs we didn't like and things like that but um when I was growing up and young he was off you know, making films all around the world, and I didn't see that much of him. When we did see him, he was a very exotic figure. But <laughs> um, I think what, what comes over when I read the book is how, first of all, there were elements in the family that I was fighting and he was fighting, which were to do with a certain sort of, um, I don't know, sort of narrow, upper-middle-class social world mm. um, uh, that, that we were both trying to sort of, I suppose, break out of. Um, and secondly, you know, so, so any snobbery about him going into that profession had been worked through by him and it paved the way for me. It meant my grandmother didn't have a heart attack when I said I wanted to act because she'd already had one when her son said he wanted to act. I think that helped a bit. Um, and no, that interested me to read all that and sort of realise how much we had in common in a funny way. The big difference was that he'd been through the war as a very young man. So he, he, you know, every time he was pretending to, you know, there was blood and guts, he thought, I've seen the real thing and this is make-believe. 
whereas I tend to take my work very seriously. Uh, he didn't take it that seriously. He thought, this is a great way of life. I'm seeing the world. I'm meeting loads of people. I'm getting to play golf, which is all I really want to do. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I've, I've, I've taken it much more seriously in a way and gone into the theatre and done Shakespeare and the classics and all that, um, which he once told me he rather envied me because he came to see me at the RSC when I was about 30 and he stood on the stage and he said, oh, my God, I wish I'd done this, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. I, I'm, I'm sort of, quite, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to read the autobiography of your uncle and to learn things about him now as an adult. That that must be quite extraordinary. Things that you didn't know. It really was, and yeah, and I just wished I'd talked to him about those things when he was alive. Although the, the funny thing is that that the other thing about that sort of I mean, I'm painting my background as very stiff and horrible. It wasn't. It's just that what you absolutely did not do was look inside your head. Yeah. You know, yes. you did not introspect. And you also rarely emoted. So, of course, those two things, you know, if you've got that temperament, which he obviously did and I have, you, you just, you, you feel very repressed. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to make that link with him, but because he's a man of a certain age and grew up in that world, whether or not he liked it, he also wouldn't dream of going into some psychological yes. depth. You know, he, he wouldn't have wanted to do that. So we kept chat nice and easy and, um, you know, we, we just didn't go there. But w when I'm thinking about it now, I just wish I could have said, hey, do you think because your mother, my grandmother was That's blah, blah. That's fascinating. But you you're, know. I mean, you're, the, the areas that you've gone into, you know, Hammer House, I suppose that's what he's most famous for. But you, the, the, and, and we started talking about Shakespeare and I've seen you on stage in Shakespeare. I, I remember seeing you where it was the role reversal and um, that, oh, that was incredible playing the women, playing the men's roles. Was that about... 15 years ago? It was 2012 to 2017, five years between 2012 and 2017. Just incredible. But and I, and it didn't play with my mind at all. It absolutely made sense. And it was, it was very liberating. I, I took my, my elder daughter, um, who's uh, went studied theatre, she's 21, but I, so she was very young and I took her to it. And she found it incredible. I mean, I still to this day, and I've seen you in so many things. Well, we'll talk about other things. But that one, I don't know, it played on my mind in a most beautiful way. I can't think of another way of putting it. Well, that's so good to hear. And of course, it went down incredibly well, um, even though there was a lot of prejudice before we did it. When people came and saw it, they kind of dropped some of their objections which was great to see that and you know the first barrier when we first did it in 2012 or 2013 we did Julius Caesar that's what I saw and that yes. yeah okay well as you know we got such good reactions from that that we felt inclined to do more and we did two other plays and made it a trilogy but I remember sort of before we started, there was so much male paranoia about, you know, where we're going to steal their jobs. <laughs> and it was even written in the papers, you know, poor men, they're going to, you oh. know. And you thought, <laughs> wait a minute, you know, we'd have to do this many, many, many times over to, um, 
equalize, you know, it's not going to happen, don't worry, your jobs are safe. Um, <laughs> but it was, it, what was great was that I think in, in all same-sex versions, so, you know, all female or all male, uh, the audience does start to pretty quickly forget the gender of the, the actor and just thinks of the gender of the character. If you mix them within the play, I think you've got to have very good reasons for doing that because I think the audience gets a bit muddled. You know, if you have a, a male Juliet and a female nurse and a male friar and a female Capulet, you know, it's, it's sort of odd. So um, I think that the, 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 one of the purposes of all, all female, apart from balancing up the, um, you know, the, the, the gender balance of actors, was, um, you know, to make people hear the play properly yes. and, not, and not worry about what was getting in the way. I, I, well, I absolutely loved it. I remember studying uh, Julius Caesar for my, they weren't called GCSEs in my day, but for GCSE and, and always if wanting to be, I wanted to be Brutus and there it was happening. I, it are. was fantastic. I, it was fantastic. Um, so if we may, let's, let's talk about uh, the most recent stuff and two of the biggest shows that that everybody's talking about actually and the crown as well and and so many other things but ted lasso that we spoke about before and and succession the finale the penultimate and the finale of succession i was screaming at the screen and you told me i would and i did success uh, uh, ted lasso i cried so um let's talk about succession first uh just beautiful the writing the direction the characters it was oh wow it was superb was it did you feel that when you were in it it's such a strange thing because I, I obviously when I came back into different seasons I knew that it was a big hit and I knew that it was wonderful because I'd watched it myself as a viewer so of, yes I was aware that it was a great thing. But I think right from the very beginning, I got sent the pilot, which they'd completed, just episode one of season one, and that was all they'd filmed. And I watched it and I thought, and I said, actually, I said to my husband, why can't we Brits write like that? Because I thought it was <laughs> Americans. Yes. And then I found out all the writers were Brits. So it wasn't so much about the, the talent of the writers, I mean, it is, but 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 it's also the the time that's dedicated to the writers and the the whole system of a writer's room and all that, which now the Brits have adopted much more. You know, it is the way these long ongoing seasons happen. But um, you know, it's just wonderful to have that time that they and that investment in the writing because it's always the case. Any actor will tell you that, you know, the writing is the whole thing, you know. I mean, even if you improvise within it, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's there and it's the structure and it's the whole, it gives you everything. Oh, it's just, and, and you became, I think as a family, we became incredibly invested in, in that series and I miss it. I, 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 it's extraordinary how I can miss a, a, a TV show but we do. We actually think, oh, no, is it really over? No. Team Roman all the way. Sorry, Team Roman. Yeah. Uh, he's adorable. He's probably my favourite child. Don't tell anybody. But... 
I love that. But I love them all and I love the mix. And I think if you had non-stop Roman or non-stop Kendall or non-stop Shiv in, in their own show, you, you know, it would be different. It's the fact that there are these three different chemistries when they clash, when they come together, when they split apart, when they team up two against one. All those dynamics are what make it so fascinating and God knows why we feel some kind of pathos for them. I know. But, we do. it's, but it's it's very Shakespearean. The way it's all done, it was it is. very Shakespearean. Uh, if I may then go to, to Ted Lasso. Um, uh, just that, I can't believe we, I am properly cried. It was, it's beautiful. The whole philosophy behind it, the whole thing about it. And it's made such a star of lovely Hannah who I know yeah, uh, yeah, your gosh. your daughter in the show and I've known Hannah for, for many years and um, what that's just a lot it was the sort of antithesis to succession in many ways succession was about bad and Ted Lasso was about good uh, I know it's not quite as simple as that but it Ted Lasso is just joyful I think it's uh, happy endings versus sad endings isn't it I mean I think um you know, it's very brave of Jason Stakis and team to write something with happy endings. Yes. At this time of history. Because no, we need that though. They could ease that we'd need it, but there are a lot of people out there who are gonna go, Yeah, yeah, doesn't happen like that. You know. But what he's doing is saying, Well, why not? You know, why not? Maybe I could reconnect with my wife. Maybe I could uh, maybe the team could win. Maybe there could be um, reconciliation between... There's always got to be somebody like uh, Rupert. You know, there's always got to be somebody who takes on the sort of... The badass. Yeah, you know, good. You can't, it not, you can't tie everything up. No. And, you know, getting back to Shakespeare, Twelfth Night, there's always Malvolio who's still <laughs> still a baddie. Everybody's happy ending, but he's still, you know, goes We're, off rather unhappily. It, the, the, that's the crux of everything. Always take it back to Shakespeare and you know it's going to work perfectly. Uh, but you've done, I mean, some extraordinary things. Also, Killing Eve. I mean, we're talking, and The Crown, as I mentioned. Um I, I, massive worldwide TV hits. and I. But I've read that you felt that that was never going to happen because other people were handling their careers differently than you were. But surely it was always going to happen for you. I don't know. I think everybody's individual career is different and also a mystery to them themselves, actually. <laughs> unless you're terribly, you know, unless you're Tom Cruise and you've got real clout and you can say, I want to do this, I want to do that, I'm going to do the other. Um, and to get to that place, you've got to have bags of talent, but also you've got to have a certain business acumen. You've got to have a certain sort of clued upness about the profession. And I've never had that latter quality. I've never really been really? clued up. So I depend hugely on agents and hearsay and other people's opinions. And I just go, oh, I've got this nice job. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so... I mean, there are various things that all actors will tell you which are difficult ne to negotiate. Um, for women, there's the difficulty of age. Yeah. That, you know, that you get... You, it's quite hard to move from age group to age group as you get older, and there are fewer parts and or less rounded parts. And so to keep in the game as a woman 
is, is harder than for a man. And the other thing that's hard to negotiate is the balance of film and TV versus theatre. Because if you're doing a lot of theatre, you're not free to do film and TV. And if you're doing a lot of film and TV, you're not free to do theatre. So it's very hard to combine the two things. And you have to be a bit strategic about it. Say, well, look, I really want to do some films, so I'm going to have to turn down every theatre offer I get for the next year. And then maybe nothing shows up. So I did keep getting wonderful things in the theatre. And I don't regret that at all, because it certainly you know, grew me up, made me more confident, and also saw me through those 40s and 50s. You know, I was playing Shakespearean heroines who were supposed to be 30 when I was 50, because it doesn't really matter on stage, that, that, you know, if you've got a few lines. Um, but then suddenly I thought, actually, I've done so much in the theatre, where do I go now? And I have always intermittently done TV, you know, and there have been times, even when I was younger, when I did a whole series and take the lead. Um, but it hadn't happened for a while, and I thought, maybe I want to do that. And then I, suddenly all this really great work came my way, and I don't know if it came my way partly because I'd built a reputation in the theatre or just because I was available suddenly. But whatever happened, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know? I, I think I think it's more to just the fact you were available, Harry. I really do. I think there's more to it. But but uh, you, if we can go back on ageism, I don't want to talk about it too much because I feel that every it becomes the sort of the headline of everything for us women. And every time anyone interviews me, they always talk to me about my age, and they never talk to a man about their age. Yeah. Ever. Exactly, you've made your point. But I think the fact that we're in my job, you know, if I was a painter, I could paint at any age. Yeah. If I was a pianist, I could play, you know, sports, sportsmen and athletes and, and, and dancers, people like that, you know, they have a real age limit on their, on their careers, uh, which I would hate, but at least you know it from the beginning. Um, we don't really have an age limit on our career. I mean, the uncle was working till he was 93. Um, so, you know, you, you have that ahead of you, but at the same time, I think for what I feel for a woman is more that the roles are always, or pretty much always, based around a man. So you're a wife, a mother, a daughter, or a girlfriend, or, yeah. you know, you're, you're in relation to a man. So the man, this, this is historical, we're hoping things are changing, but there is still this going on, so that the man can be whatever age he is. And then you'll go up for the job to play his wife and they'll say you're a bit old for his wife or a bit young for his wife. Do you see what I mean? Rather than Absolutely. you're right, you're right for the part, you know, so it, it's, it's irritating, more than irritating. Yeah, and, and uh, let's just leave it at that because then we don't yeah. get uh, too obsessed. <laughs> we with won't get into whole, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, this is a very strange question, but I want to ask it about finding out that you were going to be a dame. How did what happened? How, did you get a letter that said, "Dear Harriet, you will forevermore be now a dame"? Did you have to accept it? How did it go? But was it an easy? Thing? Did you think I'm going to be? A dame. I, I just sort of want that. And looking at it through a little girl's eyes, what was that moment like? <laughs> well, I I'd already got a CBE, which yeah. is a sort of step down from that. So I got over the shock of who, me? You know, I'd got over that. Um, and I also slightly knew the routine, which is they write you a letter saying, it's come to our notice that we would like to. Um, 
do you object? Would you accept it? Because what they don't want is for you to turn it down the night before the ceremony, or the night before the announcement. So they give you sort of two or three months to think about it. And CBE was absolutely no-brainer. Yeah, sure, great. My mother was alive. It would, you know, she'd be so proud. Um, some of my fellow actors were getting them, and I thought, yeah, you know, extraordinary as it seems that we've become that generation. Okay, lovely. It's a recognition. Dame is different because it actually changes your title. And I thought, oh, God, it's a bit, it's a bit, uh, you know. And I was quite nervous about it. So what happened again? I got the letter. In fact, I got a call from my agent saying they'd received the letter. And I was driving along a country road, you know. Um, <laughs> and so I got out, went for a walk. I was with a friend. I thought, this is a bit surreal. And um, I'd, I'd had a few people saying, well, you know, if you're a CBE, the next step up is a dame. That'll happen. And I was going, no, 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 no. But it, so it, the, the idea had slightly been planted. It wasn't a complete out of the blue. But at the same time, I'd rehearsed turning it down because I thought that was the noble thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, I don't like, you know, here am I, somebody who preaches equality and, you know, um, <laughs> I, you know I shouldn't sort of accept this, you know. And uh, so I thought about that. And then I thought, sorry to get back to the women question again, but I thought, look, Every, every actor of my generation, or a bit older, has accepted a knighthood. So, and there are very few who'd accepted a damehood at that point. Um, there are more now. Uh, and I thought, do you know what? The reason there aren't so many dames is because they don't have such long careers. And that's all wrong. So I should take it and get out there. And um, I did. And I'm pleased to see that Lots of other people have become dames since. And also, yeah, I mean, it's not something I can swing about or use oh, on a that's daily what basis. I want, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to know. Do you go to a restaurant, do you book in the name of... Oh, you don't? Oh. Well, I, very occasionally, I'll tell you what, if it's, if it's a charity or a letter to the government or, um, I don't know, something that might need that clout, I will always use it. Um it's on one of my bank cards and not the other. Because I think <laughs> <laughs> I think if people think that I'm a dame, you know, people don't really know what a dame is and they, they say things like, are you in the House of Lords? And I go, no, no, that's a baroness. But um, so so I've got one card that says in case, you know, if, if, if somebody thinks, oh, she's <laughs> she must be rich if she's a dame. And you go, no, hang on. Um, so the, but also it causes all sorts of nightmares on on most websites because you know they have a drop down menu saying what's your title and they practically never have dame on there i love that yeah and if you sometimes so i go okay if i want people to know i'm a dame like as i said if it's a, a letter to the government or something like that um it'll say first name and i'll put dame harriet oh and then, and then you go to the airport they say you're not here i said look under d <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's what. And what does your husband? I mean, you know, I hope he calls. You know, while he while he helps you around the house. I think that may, that might have been him doing your microphone. You know, does he say, "See you later, Dame Harriet"? Please say that your husband walks around doing that. People call him Sir Guy because <laughs> they think it's unfair that I should have a title and not him. He will forever be Sir Guy then to us. That's well. good. Good, um, uh, Harriet. It, it's just so joyful to speak to you. I like. I, I'm. What I get, that another thing that I read is that you like to just, you escape to your house. You don't like entertaining too much. You like to just be 
quiet. You don't like small talk. And I love people like that. You just get on with it. And were you always like that? I can imagine you always being like that as a child. Were you like that? Well, there's there's a correction here. I do like small talk. Oh, you do? (laughs) Yeah. I'm a sort of curious mixture because I'm very gregarious. I'm very FOMO. um, And I think because I get such energy out there, I need to to pull the the door shut and go in and keep quiet. I don't think I sort of hate company and therefore go home. It's the opposite. Oh, I get that, yeah. I can run myself down, running around, going to everything that I'm asked to and yabbering. You know, I can talk for England. Um, (laughs) And I love small talk because I find people who don't do small talk very difficult. You know, if you can't sort of grease the social wheels with a bit of silly chit chat I, I you know I get completely oh god this person wants to talk <laughs> <about> Proust <laughs> you know so yeah no but but what I mean is yes I'm not very good I, I am quite private I'm a sort of mixture of very gregarious but also I love privacy so that it, makes uh, complete yeah. sense to me I absolutely get it um, thank you so much for joining me on this it's it's each time I've, I've now spoken to you I, I come away smiling and you do do that and I and I love your your acting. I mean, that's what I mean about coming away smiling. I, I'm a I'm a, a fan. So there we go. I'm just being honest. I am a fan. Thank you, Gabby. And now on this uh, podcast, I always ask what pe- uh, what makes people belly laugh. And I, you do have that glint. Look, you're doing it now. People can't see. You have that glint, and I could just <laughs> see you thinking. Um, uh, what makes you properly belly laugh? Oh God. Um. So much. I so love that. Much. That's the best answer. I, d- I don't know. I'm just, uh, I am quite a giggler, really, and a laugher. Um, a physical comedy makes me belly laugh. But... Um, People falling over, then? Is you talking be, about yeah, slapstick? Yeah, but, yeah, that makes me laugh, but not... Um, I don't like that thing where people send in videos of their cat being caught in a trap or, you know, a kid falling into a swimming pool. I hate those because I think they're a bit... You know they're a bit violent, <laughs> but but um, I love ridiculous things. I've got a very silly sense of humour, I think. Um, and are you I naughty on set? Of, yes, yeah. absolutely. I spend a lot of time laughing, actually. Um, it, it as, as everything you know, I've just talked about the, the contrast between being social and being private. I can be very serious and very het up but I also can be extremely silly, all within the space of 10 minutes. So um, what makes me belly laugh? What would make me belly laugh as if I suddenly fell off this chair? (laughs) That would make me laugh a lot as well, so please don't do it, because then I couldn't say anything else. Uh, Harriet Walter, thank you very, very much. An absolute pleasure to speak to you again. Thank you. Uh, we always do a little show and tell 
we have a, a little nugget of joy that we like to share. Uh, what is your show and tell? What's your thing that brings you joy? Well, I don't get it out of the cupboard very often, but I know it's there. And you won't think that this is very exceptional. Are they little, they're character shoes? It's a pair of ballet shoes. Ballet shoes. They've got a heel, you'll see. Yeah. Inside, they've got a sign saying Nureyev Christie's. <gasps> Nureyev was my absolute idol, Rudolf Nureyev, from the age of 11 till the day he died and remains my idol. Oh, my and word. when he died, I was in America. There was an auction of his stuff. And I sent my sister and mother and I said, get me the cheapest thing you can get. You know, get me something of his. And these were, I said, and then a few years ago, I had 300 pounds. I said, that's my maximum. They said, well, we, we spent 600, I'm afraid. That was the cheapest thing. And they were these shoes. And oh. I thought, and, and other ballet shoes of his went for thousands. And I realized he may not have worn these because they look very clean. It doesn't matter. And that's, and that's why they were cheaper. But anyway, they were in his possession. And um, so the thing that I keep alongside it is the autograph he gave me when I went and met him. Oh! <gasps> Um, I had, to, uh, you know, I had an intro to, it and I couldn't believe I was meeting my absolute hero. Um, I was invited. He saw me in a play, and he, I was invited to watch him from the wings in Swan Lake at the Coliseum. Oh! And I was thirty-four, and I, you know, I, it's the best night of my life, I've, uh, of course. Um, and then I said, uh, and I said, thank you very much, and da, 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 and I thought. I know this is silly, but I'm going to ask him for his autograph. And um, he was sweating because he'd just come off stage. And so there was a drip of sweat on the page. And neither of us had a pen, so we grabbed one. The first one didn't work, and we grabbed one. You can see the sweat that dripped on his name sort of gone oh brown. Oh, my word. And it says, my dear Harriet, my best wishes, Rudolf Nureyev. Oh, that, <laughs> I, you've actually made every hair. Oh, that's just incredible. But watching him from the wings, yeah. that, was, it, was it everything you dreamt of and more? Tears pouring down my cheeks because, you know, I watched this, you know, as a child. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure you've met lots of your heroes, but it's, it's the heroes you had when you were a child that yes. you just don't believe are real. And then the music, the dance itself, I'd watched as a child sitting out front. My, my grandmother and mother used to take me to the ballet occasionally. It was a big treat. And then to sort of hear that music and then sort of be there. And then he'd come off into the wings and have a chat. Oh, how incredible. And then go back on again. And I was just streaming with tears because I was thinking, if I could tell my 11-year-old self that this would happen one day, You've just you've made me well up now. The idea of that eleven-year-old watching the thirty-four-year-old saying, oh, "Does that really happen?" You get to meet him in the end, kid. Harriet, thank you, thank you for thank sharing you. that really precious things and a real joy. I'll go back in the cupboard now. <laughs> yeah, look after them very, very well. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And have a wonderful day. You too.